Well, for more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my good friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and today's show, we're free riding. <laughs> I love it, Ed. You ready to take a free ride, Ron? I am. This is great. Yep, yep. Gonna Come on and take a free ride, and... <laughs> I have to tell you that I am either less or more well-prepared for this free rider than ever before in that I have probably more in my stack of stuff this time than I can imagine. And usually it's you that is overstacked with your stuff. (laughs) I have a lot of stuff too, but I think I've pared it down to some really cool things, I hope. Okay. All right. Well, the first one out of the gate, let me go first. I'm going to jump in. And you know that that I'm obsessed with the driverless car. Yes. Right. And, As am I. Uh, yeah. No, I think we're, I think we're both. I, I think that I, I, my obsession, I think, started a little bit earlier than yours. It did. Uh, during my, my run for Texas State Senate, I uh, came across some great information on that and really think that it's going to be transformative. And, but the, the, the latest is, and this, I'm going to relate this back to one of the episodes that we did on trolleyology. Mm-hmm. Right. There is an ethical dilemma now that's being at, talked about with regard to driverless cars, and that is this. Should we program the car to swerve out of the way and perhaps kill the driver in order to avoid killing, say, five other people on the sidewalk for whatever reason? (laughs) So what should the programming be? So now this is a real-life, potentially, situation where we're actually taking – the whole idea of the trolleyology, which for those of you who didn't catch that show, is the a classic ethics dilemma or conundrum. I guess it's it's better stated where if you have one person on one walking on one track and the, or there's a railroad uh, headed to kill that one person, and you are there at the switch, do you pull the switch to divert it to a, a or another another place where it would kill five people or vice versa? Right. So it's usually the, it's explained as the five people, and then you pull the switch and it only kills one person. Right. Um, so this is a real life application of this of this dilemma. And if you read the stories, it's exactly what we talked about, Ron, is it, it comes down to the two basic philo- philosophies, right? Consequentialism, in which case you would you would say, hey, listen, let's just kill the driver. Right. Yes. Or potentially kill the driver or deontology, which says you got to just leave it what leave leave it alone. Leave 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 what fate had in store for these people. Yes. Yeah. 
Wow, what that that's a heck of a dilemma. Um, remember post 9-11, Ed, when the, the government actually gave um, the military the right to shoot down a commercial airline if it thought it was off course or was renegade or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's kind of the same type of issue. I mean, it's wow. That, yeah, that's a good one. Yep. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Where would you would where would you come down on that given given those that situation? Oh boy. Uh wow, this is this is a tough one you're springing right out of the gate. <laughs> well, I wanted to get, I wanted to get it early in the show so at least your mind would be fresh. Yeah, uh because you know, you're talking about programming uh this which almost makes it kind of set in stone so there's not room for there's not room for any case by case judgment, right? I mean, correct. It, it would just uh, it would just happen. And I guess if I was a lawyer with a legal hat on, I'd say, well, assumption of risk, kill the driver. And the driver got in the car, and and he he knew the risks he was taking. So, you know, if it's going to save more people, but boy, that that's that is a real tough one. These I think are some of the dilemmas Ed, that that could potentially drive a dagger into the autonomous car. Well, but not really. I mean, you know, overall, even if you're looking at it from the the from a, a completely consequentialist point of view, in the long run, fewer people will be dead because of driverless cars, even if you opt for the deontological one case of killing the five to save the one. Right? Because it is it's clear, at least to me, that driverless car technology is going to be a reality and is going to be way safer and decrease the some of the, the some of the 30 plus thousand deaths a year on US highways. I, I totally agree with that. My, I'm only thinking, you know, from the plaintiff uh, <laughs> the, the tort lawyers, you know, they could also throw enormous monkey wrenches into this with some massive lawsuits. Well, yes, and of course they will. But I, I actually come down, by the way, and I'll, I have thought about this on the deontological point of view. I, I think we should we should we should let it, let 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 happen what should happen. I, and I think our friend Rabbi Lappin would be with me on this. Yeah, and I I, I even think the Pope, or maybe even the well, he is a Jesuit, right? Yeah, of um, course. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I think he would he would agree with that too. I mean, let let fate take over. Um, yeah, that's probably where I'd go. I, I, I don't like things that are programmed that, that leave no room for judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the point is, is that it's going to be, it's programmed one way or the other. There is no judgment, right? In this, it's, it's programmed to either happen one way or the other. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, if you really wanted to get, you know, fully fi- deeply philosophical, there could be a random number that's generated. In the program. <laughs> no, really? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Right? And if it's, you know, heads or tails kind of situation, go, go one way or the other based on that, on that program. But Ed, the car will s- swerve out of the way, right? I mean, it, if it sees an obstacle. Yes, no, it will swerve out of the way, but the point is, is it will swerve, will, there could be a situation, it hasn't happened yet, and, you know, Google's at, I think, close to 2 million miles on this, and the only accidents they've had have been rear ends, right. but th- it, th- there could be a situation where you're, you're given a choice that one person juts out of the street on one side of the road, and five people jump out of the street on another side of the road, and the one person that jumps out is also a brick wall. 
mm-hmm. behind it. Right. Right. So what do you, which way are you going to, I mean, it's, it, it would be clear if it was just one person and five, you know, you take the one out, but if it's also includes the driver, I think that complicates things. So anyway. Right. right. <laughs> ah, great dilemma. Do, All right. It, 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 anybody has expressed an opinion on this and anything that you've read on it? Uh, you know, just the, the, the different philosophers talking about the different points of view. I don't think – I have not seen anybody come out one way or the other who, who means anything like from a legal standpoint or anything like that. So, Right, right. I guess this kind of goes back to the whole precautionary principle and, you know, the, the, just the fact that we can't live in a riskless world. Correct, correct. Right. And, and, and I would suggest that both from a deontological perspective and from a consequentialist perspective, the overall reduction – of of traffic fatalities will decrease across the board, but we're just talking about now the individual risk pieces. I think there's I think there's a a, a relation here to uh, Taleb's work too, don't you think? A little bit of uh, uh, anti fragile. Sure, absolutely. Yes, yeah, d- definitely. And I agree. I mean, the the driverless car will certainly reduce um, the tragedies of auto deaths, uh, no doubt. No doubt about it, which means yeah. I, they need to go forward. But I, I'm very fearful of what the tort lawyers are going to do to this. And yes, courts. that is possible. And yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, if we get if we get to it, there's a couple of other court decisions that I want to talk to you about. But you're up now. You're up. Okay. Okay. Well, I know how much you love words, Ed. So when I ran across this, it it it's, it's bring different things in my mind. But I I just thought this was great. Um, man, the word management in older English dialects was, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, to spread manure. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. How great is that? Uh Management, to to spread manure. So what's that make a management consultant, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of redundant? I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, what what, what this reminded me of uh, because yeah, ever since Deirdre McClowski's work, we, we, I've, I've paid, and I know you've always paid, just so much more attention to language and, and words and how important they are. And I don't want to turn this into the best book show, but one of my favorite authors is a guy named David White. And he's a corporate poet, believe it or not. He's an actual poet. I follow him on Facebook, and I just love his writing. And he wrote a book called Crossing the Unknown Sea. And I think you've seen this before. We've talked about this. He says, manager is derived from the old Italian and French words, mangio and menage, meaning the training, handling, and riding of a horse. Okay. So we have management, it's the spread of manure. Manager is all about riding a horse. And he he writes in this book, it is strange to think that the whole spirit of management is derived from the image of getting on the back of a beast, digging your knees in, and heading it in a certain direction. Mm. And, And then I really like this. He said, the word manager conjures images of domination, command, and ultimate control, and the taming of a potentially wild energy. It also implies a basic unwillingness on the part of people to be managed, a force to be corralled and reined in. All appropriate things if you wish to ride a horse, but most people don't respond very passionately or very creatively to being ridden. And the words giddy up there only go so far in creating the kind of responsive participation we now look for. Totally agree. 
Totally agree. So can we say that manager and management are examples of philippication now? <laughs> I'm impressed. That's like super califragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> califragilis- no, philippication. Yes. I, I got it. I got it down now, Ron. Got for it. those of you who wow. are, no, that, yeah, that's that. That is a word that that uh, I came across, which means the the estimation of something is valueless. Floxanasa nihifilification. Say it with me, Ron. Floxanasa no, nihifilification. No. That's a tongue twister, man. I, I've spent no time thinking about that. That's incredible. I love it, though. That is great. So, and, he, and David White also points out, he said, sometime over the next 50 years or so, the word manager will disappear from our understanding of leadership. And thankfully so. Another word will emerge more alive with possibility, more helpful, hopefully not decided upon by a committee, which will describe the new role of leadership now emerging. Um, and, and you know, I, I've never really liked the, the term boss, manager, whatever, but I, I don't have a really good substitute. Peter Drucker used to say executive. Mm. But um, what, what's your thought on that? What kind of <laughs> Which, words do you use? Well, executive, you know, I, I would be fearful of that. I have to look that up to see if it still comes from the same same uh, root of execute, <laughs> which right, would be right. yeah. to, to cut off one's head. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we at Sage have crossed over to using colleague now to describe. Yes, individuals and it's across the board up or down it's my my like when you're we, we were supposed to introduce people even if i'm introducing stephen kelly our ceo it's this is my colleague stephen kelly right and i do right. like that because that's collegial right i mean it implies that that word has a lot of connotations that are very positive right. i even like that better than team member i do yeah i like i like colleague a lot but i guess there does need to be uh, a a a word that describes the function, you know, uh, that that is that used to be command and control. That we now is coordinate and and, uh, but uh, so maybe it's coordinator. Maybe it's uh, you know these are all awkward. I'm just throwing collaborator. Yeah. Yep. You know? yep. Uh, well, you know, collaborator is clearly work together, right? So co labor, right? Yep. Uh, but coordinator, you know, has this. I think a better connotation, certainly than than supervisor, which to me is like someone having supervision, right? That's got like over right. Right. or o- overseer, you know. Uh, <laughs> but so yeah, there, there, that's an interesting point. I, I don't know what would replace manager, you know. I uh, leader, yeah, I don't David, know. And David White hasn't offered anything, but let me give you one more thing that just and from another book of his called The Three Marriages reimagining work, self, and relationship. And, he, and, and this is specifically about, you know, remember when work-life balance was the big buzzword? Oh, yeah. He, he attacked this head-on, and here's what he said. He said, poets have never used the word balance for good reason. First of all, it, it is too obvious and therefore untrustworthy. It is also a deadly, boring concept and seems to speak as much to being stuck and immovable as much as to harmony, there is also the sense of unbalancing that must take place in order to push a person into a new and larger set of circumstances. And I just love that. You know, our colleague Dan Morris wrote a post, work-life balance is politically correct for slacker. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never I've never been a big fan of the of the balance. The balance. The balance is for ballerinas and tires. It, and it certainly doesn't have any place in an, in an economy. I mean, you know, there's no such thing as equilibrium. Hopefully it's, you know, creative destruction all the time. It's disequilibrium. Right. Now, there's a tendency toward equilibrium. I get that. But but the, what has to happen is there has to be a force that that disrupts that and equilibrium. Right. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I had for you, Ed. Just words. Word games. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Come on, Ron. Floxanasa nihifilification. Oh. All right. Well, we are up against our first break already, and we just want to remind you that you can visit our new website at thesoulofenterprise.com, and please do review the show on iTunes. We're getting more and more of those, and we really love to hear from, from you putting those reviews out there. And we also did get our numbers for last month. Thank you so much, growing the show. Uh, we are, are now uh, across some, some amazing thresholds, so please keep recommending us to your friends and colleagues and we hope that you will want to, to get them involved in the soul of enterprise and of course you can hashtag ask tsoe to get a hold of ron and myself on twitter but right now we're going to hear from our sponsor leading results Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Free Rider Friday, one of our favorite segments. Uh, and we'd, we would like to remind you that you can contact Ed or myself via email at tsoe at verisage.com. And of course, we'll post everything that we're talking about up on our show notes at our new website, which is the soul of enterprise.com. So, Ed, what do you have next? What I have next, and this is hopefully will be a, a quick one for you, Ron. Uh, did you see the controversy earlier this month where, where Donald Trump, uh, when he announced his candidacy for the president of the United States and used the Neil Young song, uh, Rockin' in the Free World? Did you see yeah, this? Yeah, I, 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 yes, somewhat. Okay. <laughs> yep. So, so the, the, the deal is, is that he, he decided to come out to this song. 
And of course, in I, I, I find to be an enormously stupid fashion, did not first check with folks with Neil Young to whether or not he could use the song. Mm. Uh, but what's important is, is that now you, this is very interesting back and forth on this. So uh, Neil Young, of course, does not support Donald Trump for president. I know you're surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. Shock, right? Shocking. And, and so first of all, so here, so step number one, Trump should have checked with the people at Neil Young's camp or Neil Young himself to see if it was okay, because you knew this was going to be the response, which was from Neil Young. Quote, Donald Trump was not authorized to use Rockin' in the Free World in his presidential candidacy announcement, uh, said Young's manager in a statement. Neil Young, a Canadian citizen, is a supporter of Bernie Sanders for president of the United States. Okay. <laughs> this is, cannot be shocking to anyone, right? Cannot be shocking to anyone. Okay, great. And that's great for Neil. However, and this is the point, as it turns out, Trump is was authorized to use Young's music because he because his campaign got the proper ASCAP license, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which we deal with on this show, yep. right? Yep. We, we we've got to have the proper ASCAP license to play the the, the song, you know, including you know, free rider, right? Right. <laughs> right? Sure, uh, come on and take a free ride. So th- he was authorized, but it doesn't make it any less stupid to have not checked, right? So because, you know, certainly this was going to be the response from Trump's campaign, which would be to say something like this. It was it would be obvious to everybody that that Neil Young would not be a supporter of Donald Trump. Right now, what I think is interesting, though, is that Young's camp in that response now seems to have make uh, Donald Trump a potentially sympathetic figure, because here's what Trump's response to Young's response was, which was a press secretary for the real estate mogul said Wednesday that Trump would respect the wishes of Neil Young and no longer use Rockin' in the Free World, which Trump featured Tuesday as an announcement, seeking the Republican nomination for president. And I love this. Uh, Trump press secretary Hope, uh, Hope Hicks said Wednesday that, quote, despite Neil's differing political views, Mr. Trump likes Neil Young very much. <laughs> <laughs> like Chris Christie's big fans with the boss, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, so I just think know, that this is really interesting, right? It's, it's clear what's legal and what is the right thing to do. It's just a good example of that, and it's minor, obviously. But it's, it's certainly legal for Trump to have used that song, but – was it was it the right thing to do? No, it was stupid. And then, of course, it was even dumb for Niels Camp to come out and say that he couldn't because it just prompts this other response. Yeah, you know, it's not unprecedented, though, Ed, because uh, Rush oh, no. uses Chrissy Hines' song and, you know, uh, Right Pretenders or something. I forget the yep. name of the song. And it, she can't stand him. Mm-hmm. And he actually pays big bucks to use it. Apparently, her parents are big fans of Rush, which, <laughs> which is an interesting dynamic. But yeah. Rush plays it. He knows it. It bugs her. But, you know, he's paying for it. And and I'm not sure how she handled it. She But she did come out and say, you know, I'm no fan of Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. But so it is interesting. I mean, what what are our rights to somebody's IP if if they don't support you, especially when you throw politics in there? Exactly. I mean, well, it's it, it's, but it's a good example of rights, which clearly Trump's campaign had the right and legal, yes, aspect to do it versus doing the right thing, which was would have been to check with Neil Young's and see if he's going to use well, the music. I'll tell you, Ed, if if uh, conservatives or Republicans are limited to uh, musicians who agree with their political beliefs, we're going to have like what three songs available? You know, Pat Boone. 
I mean, let's face light it. Light Up My Life will be yeah. the only song <laughs> Republicans it's a limited, will be uh, Boone, but whatever, yeah. Limited yeah. Uh, pool of musicians that agree with uh, that side of the political aisle, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that is, is, of course, an interesting thing. All right, well, there you go. I thought that was a, that was a fun one. All right. Well, Ed, you're going to love this one. I I think this is phenomenal, and it's out of the May 23rd, 2015 Economist, and it's called Democratizing Medicine. The crowd will see you now. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, doctors call people that, you know, go on Google or WebMD cyberchondriacs. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I thought was great. That's awesome. But there's a new app, and it's called CrowdMed, or new website, CrowdMed, um, which is a crowdsourcing for unusually rare diseases. Now, according to the National Institutes of Health, um, they recognize about 7,000 rare diseases, and that's defined by they they afflict less than 200,000 people. And generally, a a general practitioner can't diagnose these things. Uh, Usually, on average, it takes seven and a half years to diagnose one of these rare diseases. Wow. So now we know the value of Dr. House, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he did so well. So, And and they say about 8% of Americans, some 25 million people, are are affected by these rare diseases. And... Um, they say when a GP or a doctor does diagnose it, it's often wrong. Mm. 40% roughly receive an erroneous diagnosis, which could be life-threatening or you know, cause other complications. So this app is a place where you can go, post your symptoms, and anybody can weigh in. Somebody who might have this rare disease or a medical professional. And get this, uh, the CrowdMed Folks carried out several hundred cases posted on the site. They surveyed them, and they said around 80% of the patients said the suggestions proffered to them were accurate. Mm. Intriguingly, many of the best-performing cyber diagnosticians were not those with the best formal medical credentials. Well, the AMA is going to put a stop to this, I assure you. <laughs> well, you know, the AMA is feckless. I mean, they are, they are just impotent. They have lost so much power that they're just a shadow of their former selves. In the 60s, 70s, 50s, maybe, yeah, I'd say they, they would have had big problems with this. But I don't think they have a chance of, of stopping this. Well, somebody's got to. We can't have. <laughs> <laughs> we can't we, have. <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't have people self-diagnosing, Ron. Even if it's more accurate than what doctors do. You know who I think this vindicates, Ed, because this is a great laboratory test, is Milton Friedman. You know, he wrote his Ph.D. thesis on on income from independent professional practitioners where he studied doctors, dentists, CPAs, and engineers, and lawyers. Mm. And he came down against occupational licensure, even for doctors – now, you know, we can all agree that an interior decorator or a floral arranger or lightning rod salesman doesn't need a, a license. But Friedman said we shouldn't license doctors. He said because just because you've got credentials doesn't mean you're going to bring new and innovative ideas. In fact, you're less likely. And history was on his side given the track record of medicine, right? I mean, right. prior to 1865, going to a doctor killed you. 
was, I mean, they, they created much more harm than good mm-hmm. before they you know, had germ theory and antibiotics and, and all sorts of other things until they got rid of the lancet, right, that drew blood. But I, I think this kind of makes his case that, hey, the medical profession has no monopoly on wisdom. And if we want innovation and creativity, that can come from anywhere. And this is kind of proving that in, in difficult cases. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And but the, the, you know they will not stand for this. I'm sure, Ron. There's there there. I mean, there was a case in Texas here. This is a vet, not a doctor, but who is who is giving advice to a couple who had found a cat in I don't know some place in Africa, some in sub-Saharan Africa, and and he was he was he was a he was a a vet, creden- fully credentialed vet. But he happened to be dispensing – we're retired, can't get around anymore. I think he's got some problem with his leg, right? So he couldn't go into his office. So he set up this website that would allow people to come in and get advice for their pets. Now, this is a, this is a, a group – a couple that's in sub-Saharan Africa that found this stray cat that had some problems. Well, the state of Texas in, in, in its infinite wisdom censured him, took away his license to practice – because according to the canons of this in the state of Texas, you have to actually see the animal before dispensing advice. Correct. Right. And which you know, now there's all kinds of craziness around this because the other point in the case that somebody brought up was is that if if this couple were a, and this is absolutely true, if this couple were members of Al Qaeda <laughs> who were uh, trying to keep a herd of cattle alive. Uh, in in support of the 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 you know the terrorist regime in 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 ISIS or whatever, then this speech would have been protected as political speech. <laughs> you know, Ed, the, the article didn't get into the legal aspect, but I, I, I definitely yeah, your point is well taken because I mean Texas is very aggressive. I mean it, it, the bar association there went after Nolo Press and Legal mm-hmm. Zoom. You know they're very you know I mean all occupational licensure goes after practitioners who are practicing without a license. I mean, they, they do that more than they actually protect the public, actually protect the other licensees, right? Right. From competition. But, but, you know, this sounds like what, what the economist did say is diagnostic crowdsourcing will not have the field to itself for long because systems such as Watson, the IBM based computer is also going to come out and start drawing inferences from, from data. So I'm not sure they can put this genie back in the bottle. With these crowdsource websites, I mean, I'm not I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but it seems like just like Uber and other types of technology, this is kind of here to stay as, as some place where you can go, just like you can go to WebMD. Or the I, I do agree. I, I do agree that that the genie's out of the bottle. I'm just saying that they will still try to try to stop it. I, I, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean that's that's why we have lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is just fascinating stuff, folks, flying by as usual on our Free Rider Friday. And we'd, we'd like to remind you, check out our new website that I put together, thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also tweet us at Twitter, hashtag AskTSOE or at AskTSOE, right, Ed? Yes, I actually yes, got a yes. Twitter handle, sorry. It's at AskTSOE. And, of course, you can email Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Love that song, Ron. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just love that song. It is really cool, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? It's the lyrics that are just awesome. I know. You know, what we got to do. Just make a note. We got to publish the lyrics or, or yeah. a link to the lyrics. We should. I, I think people will, will get a, a big kick out of it. Kick so out of it. Yeah, we'll yeah. We're leading them that. into the promised land. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have little faith. All right. You brought up Uber. Uber in the last segment. And oh so, I'm, yep. So here's I go knew back. you were going to bring this up. You knew. Oh man. Well, it was actually it was a gimme, right? You it saw. Was. You know, and you know exactly what I'm going to talk about, right? The California ruling, yeah, of course. On Uber Uber drivers as employees. Yep. How stupid is this? In fact, I retitled this when I posted it on my Facebook page, and I think on the Soul of Enterprise Facebook page. The headline really should read: "California gives yet another reason to leave the state forever." <laughs> I think I'm going to hire Uber to take me out of the state, Ed. <laughs> uh, well, for those of you who don't, don't know what I'm talking about, the state of California and its infinite wisdom has decided – I shouldn't say the state. A, a judge <laughs> a judge in the state of California has decided that Uber employees uh, – or I'm sorry, Uber drivers are de facto employees of Uber. They cannot be subcontractors. Because I guess they meet some ridiculous criteria or test that says that these are uh, people who are, are uh, by definition employees. Right. Now, think about this. And this is a, a, one writer points this out, and I just love, love what she says here. Raise your hand if you've ever heard an employer who said, hey, as long as you don't actively alienate the customers, you can just show up for work whenever you feel like. No need to let me know when you're coming. Just show up and I'll pay you for any work that you do. Just put in a couple of hours every six months, okay? <laughs> How is that an employee-employer relationship? I know. I, I, I'm, it's, it is just mystifying. 
Ed, this is this is such a frustrating concept. Concept this independent contractor versus employee. As a practicing CPA, we dealt with this all the time, and the state of California has very stringent criteria. I think more so than other states about who can be classified as an employee versus an independent contractor. And it's not just about the hours worked, it's about control. And I guess since Uber can tell you, you know, you have to have certain standards for cars and certain standards of things that you can say and can't say and do, that, you know, this judge is interpreting this to the leather of the law and saying, no, you're an employee because you're, you're controlled. It's absurd. And you know why they're doing it. I mean, part of the reason why they're doing it is the government doesn't like independent contractors because, you know, they they rather have you on a W-2 so they can fleece you mm-hmm. out of every paycheck. Independent contractors are self-employed, have to pay their taxes quarterly or whatever. So the government wants their revenue. That's part of this, too. But this is absurd. Uh, com- completely absurd. I, you know, and this is just going to be a continuously growing problem because there are more and more independent contractors as time goes on across all sectors. Uh, you of know, the there's economy. more. There's more self-employed people, and this tipping point happened way back. I think in '96 or '95, um, th- that there's more self-employed people than union members. I mean, unions are dinosaurs. They're like six, seven percent of the private sector labor force. Now, if you look at government, it'd be it'd be higher, but the private sector labor force, they're dying which is why they're all for immigration. I mean, they want new dues-paying members. Mm-hmm. Before, they were against immigration because they didn't like the competition, but now they want the, the dues-paying members. Um, but, you know, this is all about, uh, I think, p- partly revenue as well to the government. Oh, of course. Well, and and it it, 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 it tends to tend people, I think, in, into people who question what, what their tax money is going for now that you actually have to write a check every quarter. Yes. Yeah. If we got rid of withholding, which, by the way, Fed uh, Milton Friedman had something to do with when he worked in the Treasury in the 30s. Yes. Uh, and, and it was the IRS who told him, no, this would never work. This is this is not possible. You know, people pay their taxes once a year. We can't have this. And he said, well, Germany does it. And he pointed to all these other countries. And of course, now when you come out and say we should get rid of withholding, have people write their check, preferably on the day of the election, uh, <laughs> to pay their taxes, the IRS is the, the first one out of the gate that says, oh, no, that'll never work. So, <laughs> of like, course like they Mark are. Like Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, just what this, this, the person who brought this lawsuit said that they were entitled to, which was an expense check for ex- expenses and, and sick leave and, and all of this stuff. Completely ridiculous in, in view of the fact that she did not have to show up for work at all. At, oh. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it, it just mystifies me that somebody could actually look at that and say that these other things outweigh just that from a control standpoint. The fact that I can just say you can work whenever you want or not, how that can you say that I have control? It yeah, should be that, absolutely overriding. That, it's not even yeah. close. It's not even close to the other things like you know dictating what you wear, or your car has to be clean, or a certain type of car. You know, at the, yeah. <laughs> well, especially since Uber offers other – Alternatives. You don't have to be an Uber driver black car. You could be an Uber X or Uber XL, and then your car, the standard of your car goes down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So that, that what you have, yes, it has to be clean. <laughs> sure. You know, so, but I, anyway. I, and I would expect to see this in other states, Ed, same issue, independent contractor versus employee. This is going to pop up in other states, too. Oh, uh, without question, especially those that that where the, the the taxi lobby, taxi and limo commission is is big. I would I would expect that New York will be next. 
Yep, or Chicago or Illinois or or mm-hmm. whatever. And and probably these guys bringing the suits will be, you know, friends of taxi drivers. <laughs> yeah, <I> think. <laughs> Man, uh, rent seeking all over. Where are the, the bootleggers and Baptists all That's around? It. That's it. Yep. Absolutely. Amazing. All right, you're up, man. All right. You're going to like this because I think we mentioned it uh, a couple weeks ago. This is from Cato's letter, little newsletter that Think Tank Cato Institute sends out. And it's by Steven Pinker, uh, who's a, a professor of psychology at Harvard University, the author of many books, including The Blank Slate. But he's talking about, Ed, the psychology of pessimism. Okay. And I've always been fascinated by this because it seems like more people are – we're just – geared to be pessimist and believe mm-hmm. bad news and doom and gloom and oh the end of the earth is coming and and all of this stuff rather than being an optimist is one of the things i really admired about julian simon the late economist because he was a unfettered optimist you know and just talked about how the world was getting better and better but steven pinker points out and i think this is a point you made a couple of weeks ago he says modernity has brought us terrible violence the thinking goes but he says violence has been in decline for long stretches of time he says in some comparisons the past was 40 times more violent than the present today we are probably living in the most peaceful time in our species existence and we brought this up in the context of trade you know, mm-hmm. that would, would more trade, uh, lessen violence and that type of thing. And I think this is part, part of his thesis. But then he gets into the psychology of why are people always convinced that the world is going downhill? What is the psychology of pessimism? And he says a number of emotional biases towards pessimism that bad is stronger than good. People are more sensitive to bad things than good things. And this is kind of the loss aversion, right? Losses are felt more keenly than gains. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to lose more than I like to win. Right. Criticism hurts more than praise encourages. He says the other issue is entropy. There are more ways in which the state of the world can be disordered than ordered. I mean, there's, you know, if you think about how could I ruin my life today or ruin my marriage or, or ruin my job prospects, you know, you could probably think of a million ways, but if, you know, I asked you, well, how could you create a great business or, you know, become successful, there'd be, you, you could probably come up with a lot less ways, right? right? And that's the point he's making. And he says, uh, the last one he talks about is, uh, y- you know, the availability heuristic, uh, heuristic. And he says, the more easily you can recall an example of something, the more likely you estimate it to be. So, you know, we're more fearful of plane crashes and shark attacks and terrorist bombings than we are of, you know, auto accidents, electrocutions, falls in the bathtub, right? Right. All which, which are actually yeah. much riskier. And so he said that, you know, he, he basically sums up, he says there are basically three emotional biases that are baked into our psychology. Bad dominates good. The illusion of the good old days, right? Because everything's going downhill and moralistic competition. These feed into a single cognitive bias, the availability heuristic. And I just thought that was really interesting because I, 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 there's definitely something to that. I find people just, they, they cling to pessimism. If you write you know, a book on the coming Wall Street crash, it's going to sell more than you know, Dow Jones 100,000 or something like that because we're just hardwired to believe that everything's bad. Yep. 
No, I, I completely agree with this, and you know this goes back to Maltus, right, and and beyond. Right? We're, we're running, we're running out of land, running out of water. That was that was the one. This another thing that happened this week. We're we're drinking water is going down. Um, well, okay, we'll let the price system handle it. I mean, that's another thing that's happened in your fair fair state of California, right? Is like there's huge problems with water. Well, privatize exactly. it. <laughs> Yeah. And not only privatize it, but build more dams. But we can't because we have a snail darter, you know, um, that they're trying to protect. And, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the brown lawn because we can't build dams. Yeah. Save the is- snail darter, kill the people or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the grass, but I, hey, I just want to point out because we only got a couple minutes left in this on on, on this, and, and thank you for bringing this up. I think Pinker is a genius, by the way. But one of the places that I know that a lot of his work does end up is a website called humanprogress.org. Mm. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if you're aware of that one. I think it's an offshoot of Cato. I'm pretty sure it is. But but uh, and by all measure and by far the four horsemen of the apocalypse: pestilence, death, war, and famine. Down. Down, down, I, I and down. I, I know. And, and Ed, you know, I, I mean, I know the, the Pope's got his encyclical out and I'm still making my way through it. But, you know, he's, he's, you know, this idea that the earth is limited and resources are limited. I mean, I'm sorry, but that, I mean, I guess in a cosmological sense, that's true at some level. But this is something Gilder talks about. You know, these, these chronic shortages, these problems, they are the next frontier. They are what we're going to apply energy and, and creativity and imagination and innovation that we can't even see today. And these things, you know, so what? We're not going to run out of energy. We'll find another source. We'll find another resource and turn it into something productive. I mean, that is the beauty of, of creativity and dynamism and, and uh, innovation. And so Resources I just, are limited. The human imagination is not. It's not. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast a hundred years from now, so in the year twenty one fifteen, I let right let let us pray that that somebody will come across this, and I can tell you this: you will be concerned with the decrease in population. If you are listening to this podcast in the year 2115, I, ca- I will guarantee you that the conversation that is happening in your world is a concern over the, re- is the, over the decrease in population of people. I promise you yes, that. That is a great point. We should spend more time on that. In fact, we should have a show on that because we don't have an economic model for what happens when world population declines. It's Amen, never brother. happened in history. So we don't know. Amen, brother. All right, we're, we're, we're late to the break, and uh, we just want to let you know that, again, you can get us at thesoulofenterprise.com, ask TSOE at verisage.com to send us an email, and, of course, hashtag uh, ask TSOE on Twitter to ask us questions, and we do monitor that both during the show and after. So please let, keep those cards and letters coming. Uh, but right now, a word from Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. 
Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, everybody, to Free Rider Friday. And we'd like to remind you to check out our website at thesoulofenterprise.com. And if you haven't already checked it out, take a look at our ebook, uh, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. And if you would like to email Ed or myself and ask us a question or just comment on the show, uh, give us a holler at tsoe at verisage.com. So, Ed, you're up. What's next? All right, Ron. I have a. I have a. We have to. We have to disclose a little secret here. Okay. All right. So you, listen, we're pre-recording this show before the actual end of the month. Yes. All right. Which is why people who are listening to the show and know us are going. Why are they not talking about the Obamacare decision? Right. Right. <laughs> right. So we have to make a prediction. What's your prediction? What's going to happen? And I, I, you know what? I gave up on predicting the Supreme Court a long time ago. <laughs> All right. So what? What? What's your? What's your gut then? What's your? What's your gut telling you? I'm not saying it's not a prediction. This is just what is? What is? What is your gut tell you is going to happen? I think they're going to let it stand and tell Congress to fix it. I think they're going to overturn it and and tell Congress to fix it. Okay. I think I think I think Roberts and Kennedy are are going to come are come around and just and just think that this we 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 can't just let this this stand. You know, I've I followed this pretty closely. <clears throat> I've listened to the guy who's arguing it, uh, you know, on behalf of what is it Burrell or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, on the on the plaintiff side, uh, really smart guy. Wow, if you ever need a <laughs> an attorney this this would be the guy i mean he's really and he's got a very simple you know case uh on this that the law is very plain and they want the court to interpret the law as written and in its entirety which i think is just ironclad but oh man i'll tell you these these guys these justices in robes scare me no i know and uh, the only reason why my gut is telling me this because it's not a prediction. It's just, it's just what my gut is saying. It ha- I, and I would not have said this two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But the messaging that seems to be coming out of the administration is seems to be like they have some inside scoop mm-hmm. that it's going down. And that, and, that, and that is solely what I'm going on. 
because right. they're 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 laying the groundwork. And I, you know, I guess they would be doing that if they didn't know. But it's just the it, I don't know. It's just something about the way that they're spinning it already. Sure, they're managing that, expectations. They're or managing whatever. expectations yeah. exactly. That it's just yep. it's just leading me to believe. Now I think I think they're going to say you should fix it, right? And and give them some. So, so I'm going to I'm going to say that they're going to say hey, we'll give you another year or something, right? Right there. So they're not going to just say okay, yep, it, we're canceling all of these subsidies. You've got to now, you know, the people who don't don't get them have to fork it over now. Right. Because I think that I think I think they are going to give some kind of leeway. Uh, so they're going to say they're going to let it stand for a year, but they are going to say you're going to have to fix this. And I think they're going they're, they're going to position it so that it, it is will be the next a, a administration that will have to potentially deal with it. I might they, they might even give them like eighteen months or or two years even, so that it it can run the course of the rest of the Obama administration and whatever the 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 succeeding administration is to to put the fix in. That's there that's that's my gut. Yep. Uh, well, look, I hope you're right. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I would love to see it overturned and then maybe it wouldn't get fixed. Right. But and the only thing I can relate this to is remember when Sarbanes-Oxley passed and as part of Sarbanes, it set up that peekaboo, you know, the, the accounting oversight board uh, institution, which is funded by basically the corporations that they're regulating. And this is this is unconstitutional. And the mm-hmm. Supreme Court let it go. They said, "No, it's fine." They, the guy who brought that case lost, mm-hmm. and I thought for I thought this was a slam dunk that Peekaboo was going to be ruled unconstitutional. It, it's a horrific regulatory agency, and yet it, it passed constitutional muster because of the Supreme Court. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head, go, "How did this get through?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I, I I totally admit that I I can be completely in the dark about this, and I, it could end up going down in flames the other way, and there it could be even six three, because I I do think that Kennedy uh, and Roberts could end up siding with the with the Obama administration on this, and it may be a six to three ruling. Right. Right. So. All right, you're up. You got the last right. one. We've got three real minutes, quick. So yeah, go. just uh, just uh, because we had Kevin Mitchell on uh, talking about professional pricing society. But you know this price match guarantee strategy. You yeah. know, economists have long been suspicious of this, but it, it it really is about persuading customers that they don't have to shop around. Right? We guarantee right. the best price. Yep. So what will happen is that the customers will invoke the guarantee rather than than switch. So th- the result of this is tacit collusion. Right? It's it's kind of the maintenance of it actually creates stable prices. But I have to say, I was in South Carolina this past week, and uh, my dad, uh, his neighbor, works at Walmart. And Walmart has an app that you shop and then you, you just take a picture of your receipt and it scans for you everything that you bought, compares it to the lowest price out there, their major competitors. And if there's a difference, Walmart will give you cash right there on your app (laughs) that you, that, you know, that are Walmart bucks or whatever they Mm -hmm. call it that you can spend. And I, I just think, you know, that was really, really cool. I mean, this, this guy's wife had like 115 bucks or something, you know, after a, like a two month period, just buying groceries. Interesting. Yeah. That, you know, I, that, that's cool. Yeah. So I, you know, when you see these, uh, these guarantees folks, I, I mean, it is, it is another price strategy that, that actually is very, very effective in, in sort of, it is kind of a tacit collusion, but it can also lock in loyalty. I mean, if the customer triggers the guarantee, okay, you match it. 
But what happens then is your competitors are less likely probably to engage in a price war. Wow. Do they compare to Amazon too? They they must. Okay. Yes, they they must. I'm I'm not sure who 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 it compares to, and and I think that's kind of an interesting algorithm. I I you know I didn't look into the details of it, but it's and it's probably comparing to competitors in their area. You know, right. maybe it's sorted by zip code or or whatever. I'm I'm not exactly sure how it's programmed, but mm. I do know that it that it works. Even my dad's been using it, and and you know getting getting Walmart bucks or whatever they call it. Right, right. But I'm wondering if it's if it doesn't go to online e-tailers as well because that you know if it has to be brick and mortar. But anyway, we'll see. Right, right. Yeah, okay. not sure. So excellent. So All Ed, right. what, what do we have up uh, next week? Uh, happy anniversary, Ron. Next week is the anniversary of our first show, and and because it is the third of July, we will be repeating our inaugural show that we did way back a year ago called uh, uh, about about Taylorism and declaring our independence from the tyranny of Taylorism. And you'll have to listen in for our, our quotes from the Declaration of Independence that we have respun in that nature. So it's going to be fun. Uh, first show, Ed, that was, that's one of my favorites. I guess your first book, your first show or whatever, but that, that, that was good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'll see you uh, then in 167 hours uh, in the best of. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. Enterprise.com.